get started. First of all, how many of you ever go through the holiday season, particularly Christmas, and then when you come out of that, like we're coming back today, you feel a little off-center, a little out of routine. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Let me just say something to you. While we were in prayer this morning in our 930 time, um, I really felt impressed that I needed to say something to encourage you, and it is this. First of all, just because you're out of your routine and maybe you're not praying like you're used to, reading the word like you're used to, in your devotional time like you're used to, in your worship like you're used to, that let me just say something. What you're feeling right now is normal, and I just want to say straight up, there is literally no condemnation for you. You need to understand something because what happens... See, when I played high school football, uh, one time I got in a big fight in high school. I mean, just goofiness, stupidity. Me and the other guys showed up at practice, all beat each other up. And uh, our coach, we got severely reprimanded for that. And then there was a process that we had to go through to get back into our coach's good graces. He wouldn't have his players fighting each other. And so we had to run gassers and lines, and we had to do extra stuff, and we had to sit out a couple of practices and threaten to sit out of a game. There was a process to get back. We had to pay our dues to earn our right to be back in right standing. Well, let me just tell you something. The kingdom doesn't work that way. So whatever you're feeling, I want you to shake it off right now. If you're feeling some lethargy, if you ate too much turkey, I'm feeling the sin of that a little bit. But I've repented. Which means I'm right back where I started in God's good graces. Can I get an amen? So I want to encourage you. I don't know if you, you fight and worship a little bit, a little struggle here. We're not, obviously, half of us are gone. But I, I want to encourage you that where you stand right now is right where you left off. God is good. His grace is sufficient. And I want to encourage you. You have not lost ground. Okay? So... Turn to your neighbor and say, you're still anointed. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're still powerful. Now turn to somebody you haven't turned to and say, your prayers avail much. I take that. Thank you. Thank you, men. All right. You feel a little better about that? All right. Good. Just now turn to somebody else and just say, shake it off. Shake it off. It's all good. Isaiah 43, 15 through 19, we'll have it up on the screen. I want to read this while we're standing and honor the word of the Lord. It says this, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Then he says this, forget the former things. I'm going to pause for effect. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we are people of your word and your word speaks to us. And today, Lord, I thank you that your word, though there is a historical context for this word through the prophet Isaiah being spoken 
to a people that were at that point without hope. That Lord today, even though there was a historical context, that today there is an, a, a modern contemporary application. It is practical for today. Your word is practical. It is timeless because truth is timeless. And so Lord, today... We thank you for your word. We receive your word by faith. And we thank you for what you're about to do, what you're about to say, what you are going to do in our lives, what you're going to do through us. We love you and we honor you. Bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. High five somebody before you're seated and you can be seated. Let me give you a little backstory on Isaiah. It's interesting that the book of Isaiah, when I was in college studying in theology, I remember them talking about 1st and 2nd Isaiah. And I'm like, wait a minute, my Bible doesn't have 1st and 2nd Isaiah, it just has Isaiah. What I found and realized is that they were actually looking at Isaiah, not as two separate books, but as two two, uh, emphases that are in the book of Isaiah. Interesting enough, like the Bible, which has 66 books, the, the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. Like the Bible, the first, uh, was it the first 27? No, the first 39 are just like the Old Testament in that in the book of Isaiah, they refer to that which is judgment against moral and uh, moral uh, failure. It's judgment against rebellion. It's judgment against sin. And much like the Old Testament reads, not that it's all that way, and I really don't read it that much that way anymore, but there, are, there is a sense in which the law of the Old Testament, it can be very strong, can be very direct and very harsh, at least very, very revelatory. Now, the second 27 chapters, which parallel the second 27 books of the New Testament, are actually all about hope all about redemption and all about salvation. And so it's a real interesting book in that it's also the book that Jesus quoted from the most. So knowing that, that tells me that it's pretty important. Can I get an amen? So as we look at the book Isaiah, we look at this passage, we know that there are some significant things. Now we're reading here in Isaiah chapter 43, which is in the section which is about hope. Now understand this, that that Israel had been taken captive by the nation of Babylon. Babylon was dominating the world scene at the time. I mean, they were brutal. And so they're taken captive in 586 B.C., and they are literally taken away from their homeland. All that was precious to them, all that was wonderful, all that God had said, this is your land, it had all been taken away. And in a large part of that was is they were in rebellion. They had literally turned from God, had pushed God away. And listen, God will only strive with man so long. And let me just say this in love. God will only strive with us so long. There comes a time where he lifts his hands. And though we know his grace is sufficient, that it's good. But we also know that he's a covenant God. And when we walk in willful sin and rebellion, there's a price to be paid. Amen. And so God, in this instance, lifts his hand of grace long enough to allow the Babylonians to come in and literally take them away. Took them into slavery, took them out of their homeland, left a skeleton crew, so to speak, in Jerusalem. And now everything they know and is precious is gone. Life as they knew it was gone. On the scene comes a handful of prophets, and one of them is Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesied over a 40-year period throughout 
that 70 years that, that Israel was in exile, in captivity, he prophesied for 40 years of that, and he outlasted four kings that were kings over Judah at the time. And so that's the historical context, and Isaiah became the voice of God to his people. Again, the first uh, part of the first 30, uh, 39 books of that being very much about sin, about judgment, and about this is what you've done wrong, and this is why you're paying this price. But now he turns the corner, and the last section we read, and it's all about restoration. Now, I don't know about you, but I get excited when I hear the word restoration. It's all about revival in the truest sense of the word, that that which is dead is being brought back to life. And so he is speaking a message of revival, a message of hope, a message of redemption, salvation. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that on a constant basis. And so that brings us to where we are in this story and what we just read, where he says back in verse 18, I want to show you that again. He says, forget the former things. Now, you understand he spent years prophesying about their sin, years prophesying about their rebellion, years prophesying that they basically got what they deserved in this captivity and in their nation being decimated. But now he says, someone say, but God, someone say, but now he comes back and says, but now, but God, listen to this. Forget the former things. All that is, is old now. It's old news. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? In other words, can you not see that I'm about to do something new and fresh? And he says, I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now listen, I've got to say something. I've enjoyed doing, we, we celebrated Advent this year for the first time as a church, and I, I enjoyed it. It was meaningful for me. It was rich. It's a great tradition, and I enjoyed talking about hope. I enjoyed speaking and preaching about peace, the shalom of God. I love talking about the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Amen? And then also finishing out with love, and, and that love really is. I mean, these thing, three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is what? Love. It's love. And so I've had a great time doing that and enjoying that. But let me tell you something. The word Advent means arrival. Jesus was born. Jesus came. Amen? He died, and, he was, and he's risen from the dead. Now, what do we do with Jesus? Now that he has come, now that he is here, now that he is present, what do we do with Jesus? Not just what would Jesus do, but what would we do with him? What do we do with Jesus? And so that's where we're at in this. And as much as I've enjoyed this, now I'm starting to look into the year 2011. Now, Annette and I, we've had a real hectic few weeks. It's just been, our whole world's kind of been off-center. You ever go through seasons like that? And not that it's been bad. It's been ministry-oriented. We've been doing a lot of traveling and living out of a suitcase, and she's been gone some, and it's just been crazy. And so what happens is you're so out of your routine, you can really feel like things are off. And, and, and yet what we've done is it's, it's, it's been kind of the tyranny, the urgent for us. In other words, I haven't had time to... Every year I like to take some time in December and just really pray about the coming year, 2011. Lord, give me a word for the coming year. And I don't get a bunch of big, heavy revies and stunners like some people get. But God usually says, keep doing what you're doing. Make disciples. <laughs> and make disciples and then make disciples. So usually that's, that's kind of the big word I get. But I was praying. And, and, but I haven't had time to even really sit down and do that lately just because our life's been kind of 
living out of a suitcase. And so last night, Annette and I were talking, and uh, we were both tired, and it was late, and, and yet we just began to talk and dialogue about what does God want to do in 2011? What would we dare to expect and believe for in a coming year? And I was like, I haven't even thought about 2011. I've been so consumed with what's going on in 2010, I haven't really had time to think about it. So I spent most of the night thinking about it. <laughs> That's why I'm a little draggy this morning. I'm tired. But let, let me just share some things with you about last year and then this year. In 2010, we saw one of the most strangest political scenarios that I've ever seen in my lifetime. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen more fighting on Capitol Hill than I've seen. I don't know. At least it have, it's never been as public as it has been, the media fiasco surrounding what's going on in our political world right now. I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. I'm sure it's happened before, but not around, and it hasn't been as as a, a media frenzy like it is now. And so that's been an, an odd thing for me. Another thing is wondering about health care. I mean, we spent the last two weeks in the hospital with, with the Wilson family, and, and there were many times I was looking around knowing that that you know what's this what could this mean for this situation with these kids in here and could it affect it could it impact you know so those things have been on my mind we're also still in a war folks do you understand we still have troops dying on the field right now as we speak we're still in a war and even though we've grown weary of it and it's it's taxed us economically we're still in a war we need to continue to pray amen we need to continue to lift up our military personnel and thank God for them. Just the other night, I was picking up a pizza at Joe's, and I saw a guy in a flight suit. I just walked over and said, man, thank you for what you do. And he just said, thank you for your support. I mean, it blew him away. Somebody just stopped and said, thanks. But we need to continue to be mindful of that. But, you know, not only that, but, but our economic situation. I mean, what a weird year for the economy and job losses and and people getting pink slips. So we've, we've gone through a strange year in 2010. But I will say this. Even though it's been difficult and it's been strange and the atmosphere is just different, it seems like. It's also been a year for me of tremendous spiritual breakthroughs. I've had a lot of personal um, inward things. I've come back to a strong stance on the word of God and faith and the word of faith is something that's risen back up in me a passion for prayer and speaking and declaring the word so even though it's been a hard year there's been some real profound things that have come out of it for Annette um I don't know if you'd want to give your testimony right now or not I thought yeah want to no no another time God has just done us an amazing work in Annette in the last few months and just has just literally, I mean, I'm almost like, I almost feel like I'm committing adultery in the right way as sense because I'm like, who is this woman? <laughs> She's always been amazing to me, always been ama- I mean, always. But I'm just seeing God doing a work in her that is bringing things out in her that are fresh and that are amazing. And, and every day I'm just like, wow, wow, what's next? What's next? So, th- so even though it's been a difficult year, it's also been a tremendously productive year. And God, I believe that God is setting us up for 2011. I haven't even had time to think about it. So, let me let me just share some things. Uh, I want to share a quote from you by Dr. Frank Laubach, one of my favorite authors. Let's, look what he says. He says, "To be able to look backward and say this has been the finest year of my life—that is glorious." But anticipation. 
to be able to look ahead and say, the present or coming year, he wrote this in January, he's talking about the, the new year, the present year can and shall be better, that is more glorious. He wrote that in, in 1930. And he was a man who had been a missionary for many years, and yet in his mid to late 40s, he had an encounter with God that changed the, his life and completely changed his destiny. And he writes that. And I don't know about you, but I want to begin to look forward into this new year and go, you know what? That's going to be glorious. That's going to be amazing. Now, thoughts and themes as we look into the new year. Just talking about this and, and discussing this, I wanted to share these things. I have them up for you. Look at this. Number one, looking into the new year. First of all, I want to encourage you to do this because this is what I'm doing for me. Expect it to be your best year yet. Somebody should say amen, but I'll just say amen myself. Expect it to be your best year yet. I mean, why the heck would we go into a new year and just go, ah, it's another year. No big deal. It's real easy when we've gone through what we've gone through politically, economically, and culturally as a nation to, to gather and, and really live in a collective lethargy, to get into a place where it's just you're sort of in survival mode. But how many of you know God has not called you to just survive? God has called you to thrive. He's called you to live. And He's called you to live a supernatural life. Amen? So, expect it to be your best year. You've got to begin to stir your expectation. Go, you know what? This year is going to be glorious. I love Dr. Laubach's words. This year is going to be glorious. Expect it to be this year. Now, look at this. The year you give yourself as a living sacrifice. Now, I want to read Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. How many of you believe God's called us to be worshipers? It tells us here that true and proper worship is literally giving ourselves away. And I believe that for 2011, I think we're going to, I know for us personally, Annette and I, I know God is already ramping us up to an entirely new level of living and it's not about getting, it's about giving. It's not about what can we get for ourselves, what can we have for ourselves. It's about what can we give away. Well, let me tell you something, we're going to give ourselves away. We've already started here at the end of the year with just various ways, get involved with the, the new church plant in Dallas. You know, it's not easy driving over there on a Sunday it's a long day to get over there to Louisville, North Dallas. It's three hours over there and then help put on another service and work and then get in bed late. And it's not easy. But let me tell you something. It we get more out of it. It's so interesting that in giving we receive. And I'm telling you what we've gotten out of just the two trips we've already made has already taken us to a whole new level where we want to give our lives away. We want to give ourselves away. And I want to encourage you to make this your best year yet by being the year where you become a living sacrifice for the kingdom. And notice I said for the kingdom. And let me say something about the kingdom. The kingdom is not the church. The church is a part of the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And the church is the bride of Christ. So we know there's an element and a part there. But I'm not talking about just doing more at church. I'm talking about... Living at a level whereby your life is designed, everything about you is purposeful 
in giving glory to God. Everything about your life becomes a way to glorify God. Does that make sense? That's kingdom living. Now, here's the second one. It's been a difficult year for many, but we must be determined to rise above our past and face the new year with faith, passion, and expectation. Even though it's been a difficult year, we've got to rise above it. Why? Because we're called to. Why? Because we're equipped to. Why? Because we're anointed to. Why? Because we're empowered to. To literally live at a level that we've not lived at before. And I, 2011, it's going to be a new level. It's going to be a new year. It could be for you if you choose to be. If you desire it to be. Will you? Will you? Hello? Will you? Isaiah 43, we just read this. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Three, key to change. This is where it gets fun. You ready to have some fun? You ready for a word? From the word for you? Lay down all offenses. Better, barometric pressure just changed. Lay down all offenses and be a minister of reconciliation. I remember I was talking about being offended and I, I stood in front of the church and I said, let me tell you how to get over offense. I said, get over it. And then somebody got offended at me for saying, get over it. It's a terrible cycle to get into when you're offended. Let me tell you something. People think, well, it's, you know, if you're going to get offended, it's going to be at church. No, it's going to be at work. It's going to be at 7-Eleven. It's going to be at Walmart in the parking lot. You're going to get offended wherever there's another breathing human being. Can I get an amen? But it will happen at church too because there's other breathing human beings. Amen? How many of you know none of us here have arrived? None of us are walking in perfection. Now, we're being perfected, but we're not perfect yet. Amen? That may be news to somebody. I hope not. But we're getting there, but we're not there. We're on our way, and God is working on something. Which means every person in this room has the capacity to offend every other person in this room. And you know what? Some of you will succeed in that. This year, you will. Some of you will. It's so funny because people stay offended at me because I'm a pastor, and I say a lot, and I make, you know, a lot of words happen out of here, and people go, well, I can't believe he said that from the pool. I can't believe he said that. He didn't say hi to me walking in. And, you know, he walked right by me and didn't, didn't say thank you. Didn't say, I mean, it's amazing what happens here. But let me just say something. You don't know how often you offend me or offend my wife or offend my family. Because let me tell you something. It works both ways, folks. It happens. But you know what? We made a choice years ago to not walk in it, to let it roll. And to say, you know what? It's not worth it. And let me just say something about this because I want to finish the statement. Lay down all offenses and be a minister of reconciliation. It will cost you your right to be right. See, so much of what we battle for is to be validated in what, our, what we're offended about. We just want to be right. And we want other people to recognize that we were right. And my gosh, some of us are like litigators where we will we'll, we'll garner and build a case and we'll get a jury behind us, our friends, to come along beside us and validate us in our offense. And then all of a sudden, my gosh, we got a whole army going on here. 
All because we just want to be right. Let me tell you something. This is not pretty what I'm about to say, but this is the truth. You've been bought with a price according to the word of God. Jesus shed his blood for you if you are a child of God. Now, if you're not, this doesn't pertain to you. But if you are a child of God and you've given your heart to Jesus and you say, you know what, I've appropriated the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross. You don't have a right anymore to be right. Boy, if you're a Texan, that just went all over you. I'm telling you. If you're a West Texan, you're ready to kill me and tar and feather me. But here's the deal. As a child of God, we lay down our rights and we now live by preferences. Not preferences. We, we now we, we live by privileges. God says, I'm going to give you the privilege. I'm going to give you the ability to do this. But I'm telling you, you don't have to be right. And when you get over having to be right and having to be validated in your offense, life will go better for you. You can sleep at night. And you know what? If somebody's offended, it's, it, it is now their deal. Amen? One of the keys to change is to let go of offense and say, I just refuse. And to forgive. Forgive, to give forward, to forgive. That means to do something forward. It means you're not holding on to, you are forgiving. You're giving forward. And when you come into that place and you just say, you know what? That was not good what was said. But you know what? I don't care. Because I value the relationship more than I value my right to be right. When we can move into that place, let me tell you something. You won't sit and entertain and rehearse and nurse those wounds anymore. You'll just say, ah, it's all right. They had a bad day. You know, everybody has a bad day. Amen? Everybody here has a bad day. You're going to say stuff in a sitting at a coffee shop or sitting at... McDonald's or sitting at Burger King or what sitting at Starbucks, you're going to say stuff that you're going to get later go, I wish I hadn't said that. And let me tell you something, at some point, you just got to let it go. Here's the thing, I don't have faith for the fact that somebody's going to try to offend me this year. I just know people. And I'm just already determined, predetermined to let it go. You know, it's interesting that Jesus didn't defend himself. When he was accused. Is, the Bible says he was like a lamb led to slaughter. You know what? Some of us need to be more like a lamb sometimes. Instead of like a lion. Fighting for our right to be right. Amen? Oh, I know that's good news to everybody's ears. Hallelujah. Love must rule and be the rule. And that's part of what's happened to Annette and I. It's hard to explain. I, I, no, I can't do it here, but in this time. But we've, God is giving us, I won't say we've got it, but we're getting a revelation of love. And I'll be honest with you, it's wrecking us both. It's messing us up real good. And we're just dying. We're dying to, for our right to be validated. We're dying for our right to be famous, to be noticed, to be popular. Still holding on to the cool factor a little bit, but that's starting to fade with age, time. We're just dying to stuff. 
And I, I'm excited about 2011 because the, each, each funeral we have, because it's a succession of many, we, we start to look a little bit more like Jesus. I can't tell you how many conversations I had with people at Cook's Hospital, and I wasn't trying. You know, it's interesting when you move from trying to be an evangelist to just being a Christian who's just ready, instant, in season, out. I didn't, I didn't initiate. When I get in those scenarios, I'm just a quiet guy. I'm, just, I'm really introvert in those scenarios. But when somebody speaks to me, I always engage. And it was amazing. Everywhere I went, and I went to a lot of different things there at Cook's because we had Josie Wilson with us and Spencer at one time. Then we had Rachel. And so they, they do things all day long. They have activities. And so all these people show up for these activities and every activity I went to, I ended up talking to somebody, and eventually we talked about Jesus and faith and God's goodness in the midst of a lot of pain that was all around us. And you know, I, was, I walked away from that going, no, I didn't, there was no stress, no strain. I wasn't like on an evangelistic crusade. I didn't do evangelism explosion with them. I just was there and ready just ready to be hopefully a little bit like Jesus in the scene. And you know, I had so many opportunities to talk to people. And it was amazing. And I feel like the more I die to me, the more amazing that's going to get. Does that make sense? So what are you anticipating for 2011? Now, listen, don't get me wrong, because... Next Sunday, I may, be, I may be frothing at the mouth when I'm preaching and excited and jumping up on chairs. But today, I wanted to talk really from the heart to you and really challenge you and ask you, what do you see in 2011? What can you see? Vision is what you see. Not Vision isn't an idea. It's what you see. So what do you see for yourself in the coming year? All right, let me give you a little hint on a couple of things here. Three things for just preparing your... Just to get you thinking about 2011. Because you got a week... You got a week to think about it, all right? So here's what we're going to do this week. Number one, expectation. Allow your faith to rise and begin daring to believe again. Some of you lost your dream. Some of you are disappointed with God right now, I know for a fact. Some of you are disappointed because you prayed and it didn't work out. And you're still smiling, you're still serving, but you're disappointed. You still come to church, but you're disappointed. Okay, I know that because it takes one to know one. I'm not disappointed now, but I've been there, okay? So take it, it takes one to know one. I see it. I know it. I hear it in your language. I see it in your posture. I see it in your prayer or lack thereof. I know some of you are disappointed. Let me just say something. God's bigger than your disappointment. Amen? So you've got to begin to allow yourself to dare to dream. You know what I'm daring to dream? I'm daring to believe and dream again that there's going to be a day when I lay hands on the sick and they recover. You can't spend two weeks at Cook's Hospital and not have that passion come over you and say, this is ridiculous. This is against, this is wrong. We've got to do something about this. And if it means having more faith, I need to, I need to get more faith. 
It means learning what the anointing can do. I need to learn more about what the anointing to do. And being in that, in that setting just stirred something up in me to say, this is wrong. This is illegal. For this many children to be suffering this way, it's wrong. So my expectation, I'm allowing myself to dare to think what it would look like for this church to look like the kingdom of God. Now, we got, we got the look. We look like heaven. we got great people. We got, we're praisers. We love God. We've got enthusiasm and all that. But I'm talking about real faith that sees real results. Amen? So would you dare to allow your expectation to rise again, to rise above your disappointment, to rise above your frustration? To rise above your temporary unbelief. I believe in 2011, we're going, to see the, we're going to see people raised up. I believe we're going to see more people born again in 2011 than we've ever seen in the history of this church. Why? Because I can see it. I believe we're going to raise up an army of disciples that are going to be making road trips to Louisville, Texas... We took 25 last Sunday to Louisville for that church plant. How many of you got to go? How many got to go? How many of you that got to go would go again because it was so amazing? Yeah, I thought so. Hey, that's more hands than started. Okay. How'd that happen? We added some. We multiplied. Seriously, it was so amazing being a part. And listen, I watched our people rise up in leadership and serving. And I was like, my gosh, this is what it's about. We got to see the birth of a new church. And guys, those of you that went, I mean, it looked great. It's because you were there making it great. But that was only the second time they've ever met. Ever. And Pastor Rice Brooks and Pastor James Lowe took me aside and said, you don't understand how primitive our meeting was the last time compared to this time. I mean, they were blown away because we took our kid check system. And, you know, I mean, they were just like, golly, you know. I mean, it was just amazing because we were checking people in using the web-based stuff. And they were just blown away by what we did. But more important than what we did, it was just our presence there and God using that. Well, we dare to believe God could use Abilene to impact Dallas. By the way, they're not planning to plant one church. It's plan- they're planning a movement. They're planning five congregations. That's just in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They're also looking at San Antonio. So, guys, we got, we're going to get busy and get ready to do some road time. Amen? This is part of giving ourselves away in 2011 to say, how can we help? What can we do? Let me tell you something. We may not have the most money, be the most resource church, but we got the best people. And when we show up, God shows up with us. Amen? And we make a difference. I'm so proud of our, of our team. It was amazing. So expectation. Here's the second thing. Let's go ahead and have the worship team make their way up. Here's the second thing. Equipment with the word and practical biblical principles that will empower you to walk at new levels of faith, passion, and authority. Listen, we have been beating the drum of discipleship, but it's been a snare drum. Y'all know what that is? That's the smaller one. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, uh, biggie, biggie size that, and we're going to bang a drum that looks more like one of those big bass drums on the marching field. So we've been beating... That was funny. We've been beating the drum of disciples. Thank you, Eric. We've been beating the drum. We're so high-tech here, aren't we? We coordinated that. We've been beating the drum of discipleship, but we're going to beat the bigger drum of discipleship because let me tell you something. That is what Jesus told us to do. If we're not making disciples and we're not making disciples that make disciples and we're failing at the mission... Amen? 
We can have meetings and plant churches, but if we're not making disciples, we're failing the mission. So that will be preeminent in the middle of everything, this idea of equipping. Summit meeting. We're reinstituting summit meetings, and those are mandatory meetings for those of you that are in leadership. Don't bow up. Well, who do you think you No, no, it's mandatory. You need to be there because it's important that you get equipped for what we are going to do. We're going to talk about two things in our next summit meeting, and I'm not telling you what they are. You just need to be here. I mean, I know what they are, but you need to be here. Amen? All right. The front row said amen and part of the second row. Equipping. We're here to equip and train you to be Christ in the world, not just a pew sitter, chair sitter in our case. Amen? The last thing, execution. Preparing your spirit for a new thing. Think in terms of the new year coming on. Expectation, equipment, getting equipped, and then execution. And look what I wrote. In the form of radical and instant obedience. If God tells you to do something, this is deep, just do it. I know that is radical. God's been speaking things to Annette and I. We're catching ourselves doing things that we don't normally do. And when the Holy Spirit does, we're just like, I've just quit asking if it's God anymore. I figure if it's making me really uncomfortable and cost me something, it's probably God. Huh? I mean, seriously. Because he's usually not going to prompt you to do something that's simple and easy, although he will. But normally you'll do that on your own. But sometimes he'll, he'll, he'll have you standing in line and say, pay for their meal. Or worse yet, pay for their Starbucks. That's radical. That's expensive. That'll cost you. But if, if the Spirit nudges you to do it and you go, is that me, God, or the devil? Because that's typically the three questions we ask. It's probably God. But I know right now God's pushing Annette and I to do things that are just out of the ordinary. And we've just, we've just quit even questioning them. We were out somewhere yesterday, and Annette walked off. And I'm like, what is she doing? She didn't just walk off in a public place. She wasn't mad. She just walked off. And I'm like, that's not normal. And I saw her over at a booth doing something. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm buying something. I felt like the Lord told me to do something. I was like, you go. You go. I didn't ask what or how much it costs. I said, just do it. We just quit questioning that. Because are we not supposed to be a living sacrifice? Sacrifice means it costs you something. But I don't know about you, but I really do in 2011 want to look more like Jesus than I did in 2010. And not just because I stumble into it, but because I purpose to and desire to. Because God wants to use us to impact this city and beyond. And I'm telling you, we're at, we're at a state level right now with what's going on in Dallas. And we're in the middle of it. In fact, James Lowe said, we will not do this without you. He said, you're not, you're not coming in, you're in. You're in the middle of it. Pastor Rice told me that on Monday morning, the next morning, we did a follow-up phone call. And he said, he said listen, this is an apostolic movement and Abilene is critical to its success. So guys, we're in. We're in. So plan on going January 16th to Dallas. 
It's fun. It's a road trip. You get to eat in Dallas some food. It's, you get to meet some amazing people. But more than all that, it'll cost you a little bit, cost you some gas, cost you a little sleep. It's exhausting. But let me tell you, what you get out of it and the opportunity to see new people come to Jesus and see a movement started, you're on the ground floor of it. So don't miss that opportunity. Amen? All right, as we land the plane, can we pray? Father, we love you. We bless you. Lord, as we anticipate a new year, Father, your word says, see, I will do a new thing. Father, we are anticipating the new things you're doing in us. New growth, new expansion, new development personally. And Father, I just pray for a fresh revelation for every person in this room. This new year, there will be something fresh for them, something new, something unexplored, almost like uncharted territory. I just speak that over our congregation. Father, it's our privilege to serve you. It's our privilege to be about the Father's business. Lord, as we just take a moment here and worship to, to take communion and to remember Jesus, Father, we're so grateful that you allow us to be a living sacrifice for your glory. Use us this year, Father. Lord, use us Stir up our expectation. Father, equip us. Father, may we execute with radical and instant obedience to when your spirit speaks to us. We're listening and we're ready. And we want to be quick to do. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. We have the element.